Hi, I'm Abby Mercado, co-founder and CEO of Rescripted, former VC investor and ever entrepreneur, fierce advocate for women and mom of IVF twins. Welcome to Women's Health Mavericks, a podcast dedicated to shining a light on the people who are moving the needle when it comes to women's health and wellness. From inspiring entrepreneurs and innovators to leaders of big brands defining culture, to movers and shakers of biosciences companies dedicated to treating women, we'll introduce you to the people, the ideas, and the businesses that are changing the face of women's health in America and across the globe. With these change makers on our side, the future of women's health is bright. Now, let's get into it. I am so thrilled to welcome Lauren Mackler, the co-founder and CEO of Co-Fertility. Lauren is amazing and so is Co-Fertility. And I'm so excited to welcome her to the podcast today. Welcome, Lauren. So happy to have you. Yes, me too. Thanks for having me. Yes. I'm really, really excited about this. Cool. Um, I remember the first time we met, actually, and I just I knew there was more that would come from it, you know, and so this is really exciting to make happen. Yes. Well, obviously. <laughs> well, cool. Well, let's kind of get started. I would love to just dive into who Lauren is. What makes yeah. Lauren special? Where you from? Where were you raised? And like, how'd you get into it? But also, yeah. Yeah. Well, why don't I just like quickly, I'll tell you what co-fertility is. So that, yeah, yeah, let's do that. Know, there's like the context because it all fits together. Co-fertility is a fertility ecosystem that helps women freeze their eggs for free when they donate half of the eggs retrieved to intended parents that can't otherwise conceive. So people who struggle with fertility challenges, gay men, cancer survivors, and more, essentially taking cash compensation out of egg donation. For those who don't qualify for egg donation or who maybe aren't interested in egg donation, we'll still help them find a way to freeze their eggs through our KEEP program. And so... It's been really exciting to have this out in the world and to see folks taking advantage of it and making matches between intended parents and donors is like the best. And I share that because so much of my personal background really led to me wanting to build this company. You asked where I'm from, where I grew up. I'm originally from Rhode Island and I love to meet other fellow Rhode Islanders. I live in Los Angeles now, so very different, but I have a lot of Rhode Island pride and affinity for my home state. I went to Northeastern in Boston and Actually, I had an internship in healthcare that made me really want nothing to do with healthcare. Um, it was, <laughs> That'll I was, happen, right? <laughs> I was working at a nonprofit that was focused on improving healthcare outcomes. And our biggest project was getting doctors to wash their hands. And it was like, like that that what? would save lives. Yeah. Because of infection that's caused well, by well, doctors ob- not washing it. Obviously. But exactly. like, wait, there are doctors that don't wash their hands? This was why I was so upset about healthcare. I was like, how is it? I'm upset now. I'm out, guys. I'm out. Yeah, (laughs) totally. So I was like, how is it some of the smartest people amongst us can't just figure out that they need to wash their hands? And in retrospect, I imagine some of it comes from being overworked and from not necessarily having the capacity all the time to do it. But I just was very off put that that was like something that would save tons of lives and it just wasn't happening, right? So... I ended up shifting gears after watching I graduated and binge watched all of Mad Men and decided that I should go work at an ad agency. And so I did that. That'll happen also. I know, right? So like obvious. I loved it, but I very quickly got bored. What'd you um, major in? Did you say what you majored in? I studied organizational communication. Okay. 
mostly because I didn't want to be pigeonholed. I didn't know what industry I wanted to be in. And I thought, well, this is something I could apply to anything, which turned out to be very true. But I think I realized too, that like most of my education came from my work experiences and not sure actually just curious because like you were able to kind of make that pivot early on so anyway yeah cool so um in advertising like it was cool but i realized like oh i'm just making recommendations to other people about their business all day like this sucks like how boring they don't have to listen to you and you have no control over whether or not they do it and you're just like what like working for the next promotion like i just couldn't bear that and I was lucky enough to have a mentor who was like, hey, if you're going to work this hard, you really should go to a startup and get some equity. Mm. I was like, what's that? I didn't even understand what it was. And I went home and Googled it. And I was like, oh, I want that. That makes sense, right? Like the harder you work, the better the business does, the better the business does, the better you do. Like it just made sense to me. Mm -hmm. And I first landed at what ended up being the wrong startup for a few months. But then I found myself at Uber in 2013. And I was, you know, yeah, (laughs) I was in the first like couple hundred employees there. So my timing was pretty great from that standpoint. And I stayed for eight and a half years. I had the absolute time of my life working crazy hours, but feeling just so, so passionate about what we were building. In the early days, I got to help launch Uber across the East Coast, the like core rides business where it was like, Hey, have you heard of this app? Let me tell you how to get somewhere. But then I actually saw an opportunity for Uber and healthcare. So as much as I wanted to get away from healthcare, it was apparent to me that if you think about the concept of social determinants of health, right? This idea that someone's zip code tells you more about their health than their genetic code. Transportation is a barrier to care for a lot of people. And so I put on Uber's first experiment in healthcare, which was on-demand flu shots, where you could press a button in the app and have a nurse come to you and give you a flu shot, which was like a cool test of what happens when we bring care to people. But where the bigger opportunity for Uber was, was actually in bringing people to care. And so I pitched a new business line at Uber in 2017 to our executive leadership team, a business that's now called Uber Health. And it helps people get to the care they need through their healthcare organization requesting rides for them. So it's for like a low income and elderly population. And during my time there, we served over 10 million patients. So that's like... that million, but it's yeah. so amazing. Yeah. yeah. And then during that time, I became a patient myself. And this sort of leads me to the fertility thing, which yeah. I'll make a long story kind of short, but around the same time, actually, that I pitched Uber Health, I was diagnosed with an incredibly rare abdominal disease. One of like 150 some odd people in the world to ever be diagnosed with it. I had thankfully benign, but still masses growing everywhere throughout my abdomen and pelvis and was told that I'd have to have a number of surgeries to remove the disease and that there was a high likelihood I would lose my ovaries in that process. And so I asked, like, should I freeze my eggs? What should I do? I want to be a mom someday, but certainly not ready now. And just given how rare my disease was, we didn't know how my body would respond to the hormones of an egg freezing cycle. And so... Did you have to kind of ask that question or like was it presented to you by your care team or would the average person know who asked if they should freeze their egg? Probably not. I think I remember before my first surgery, they asked me to sign paperwork that said, if you need to take my ovaries, take them. If you need to take my uterus take it if you need to take my fallopian tube. Like I'd sign this whole thing. And I remember being like, but wait, like, Mm -hmm. 
I think I remember this from like sex ed, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what are my options if that happens? And I think I, in some part of my brain, and probably actually I credit Uber too, in that they had fertility benefits at the time. And I had some friends who had been freezing eggs. So I like was familiar with it. I'm Mm -hmm. also a planner, like just to the extreme, like I like to be 10 steps ahead. Oh, and you're the CEO of a startup. Okay, that tracks. I'm just like (laughs) very much that way, right? So I'm like just thinking all the ways this could go. And so I asked, should I meet with a fertility doctor? What should I do? And I, I was thankfully pointed in the direction of a reproductive endocrinologist who works with patients who have rare diseases and cancer. So I got really lucky. Yeah. He's amazing. And so I asked him like, Hey, I get why freezing my eggs isn't right. Like it shouldn't be our plan right now, but like, what would my options be? And that's the first time egg donation never came up for me or was ever like a topic on my mind. Right. And at the time I remember like looking at what was out there for egg donation and just being like, Oh, I'm not really into this. I felt like it was really like transactional and felt kind of weirded out by the anonymous nature of it all. Yeah, walk us through the process, like paint a picture for us. What did you see? What did you feel? It was interesting. So like I had just started dating my now husband, just started dating him. And so I was not in a place where I was actually looking for an egg donor specifically, but I was trying to put myself in my future shoes of like, what would this look like? Right. And so I remember seeing like some websites that were like super focused on looks, glamour shots of mm-hmm. donors, like literally like looked like headshots. Like if you were like on IMDB, right? Like I was like, oh, yeah. this is really focused on looks. And then complete like opposite. I remember so clearly being on a random, I think it wasn't the clinic I was going to, but it was just a different clinic that like had their own donors and you could download a spreadsheet of their donors and every woman was a row on a spreadsheet. And that was the extent of the information you were getting, right? So it was like, this just seems like too little information to get for someone who's like genetics will be where your child is coming from. It just didn't, that didn't track for me. The other thing that I saw that was really jarring, honestly, was that as someone who is Jewish, I thought, what would it mean to have a Jewish donor? I wasn't necessarily sure that that was like a requirement for me per se, but it was something I was curious about. Totally. And what I saw was that the cash compensation for someone who was Jewish was higher than someone who wasn't. And then when I looked deeper, I was like, wait, this is the same, like for any sort of specific heritage, it goes up and up the more specific that you get. I was like, wow, that's so weird. And I realized that that, I mean, I came from Uber, right? So I understand surge pricing, right? Like there, the more, de- the, more demand, right? yeah. like, the more demand there is for something, the greater the price, right? right. But like, that just didn't feel right to me for like the cost of a different woman's eggs over somebody else's, right? And a so thousand percent. anyway, back to where I was in this. Like, I remember feeling like, oh, I don't know how this sits with me. And at the time, my older sister was 34, had had two children of her own. And she came to me and said, hey, what if I freeze my eggs and donate them to you before you go into your surgeries? And my doctor at the time was like, yeah, that's a really good avenue. It would help sort of alleviate the stress if you wake up with no ovaries. Yeah, I was going to ask. You have those eggs there. Right, like the importance of before. 
Because yes. I mean, that's kind of, it's like a mental health thing, right? A mental totally. and emotional health. Yes. Just having that peace of mind. Especially when you are going to be in the hospital for two weeks yeah. after a surgery. And it's a really tough place to be. And so that's what we did. My sister froze her eggs, donated them to me ahead of my surgery. And I woke up from that surgery with my ovaries, thankfully. <laughs> and then... And did I your had... sister have coverage? Like, what was the process for her? So like, was I it actually, I actually convinced Uber to let me apply my benefit for egg freezing to my sister. Oh, clever. If you don't ask, they can't say yes. You know, for sure. And You've so always like that's, the game. I tell everyone that you got to ask the question, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that's what I did. And I ended up having recurrence of disease about 18 months later, which was Ooh. a huge bummer after going through that major surgery. Yeah. And then I ended up pairing that next surgery with something called HIPEC, which is like a heated chemo wash of your abdomen. Mm. And since that surgery, I've been in good shape. Um, but I also did Amazing. not lose- So I didn't lose my ovaries that time either, thankfully. And from there, I ended up, I've now, we got married and I've since conceived my beautiful two-year-old Eden unassisted without using my sister's eggs. And I'm so grateful for the gift that my sister gave me, but also that like, I just had this moment. I remember I really struggled with breastfeeding in the beginning. And there was this company that it's called Mommy. And they help a lot of new moms in that postpartum period. And I remember thinking like, if I'm going to spend my time working, which I absolutely wanted to do, like I wanted to build something that helped more people have what I had in my arms, oh, which was you this just baby. spoke to my soul. Yeah. I was, yeah. I mean, after I went back to work, I said... I'm going to be, I'm a worker. I'm always going to be like, I love working. But if I'm going to work, I'm going to give one. I'm yeah, going to make it be, really, yeah. really mean something. Totally. And so I just remember being really inspired what the team at Mommy was doing for like a different category of women's mm-hmm. health. And I thought, for me, I'm holding this baby that I didn't know that I'd ever be able to have. And the joy that I felt in that was something that I wanted everybody who wanted it to have too. And so... I made the decision pretty postpartum that I was gonna <laughs> that I was gonna leave hormones included. Oh my god, totally. <laughs> that I was gonna leave Uber after my maternity leave and that I was gonna like exclusively focus my job search in this space. And the craziest thing happened within 24 hours of me giving notice. Like I didn't put it on LinkedIn, didn't put it anywhere. Hallie Teco, who's one of my amazing co-founders, DM'd me on Instagram and was like, hey, we barely knew each other at the time. She was like, hey, I heard you might be building something. How's it going? And I was like, I'm not, but like, <laughs> not uh, asking. <laughs> yeah, like are any of your, because she's an investor and has done some incredible work in the space. Like are any of your portfolio companies hiring? And she's like, you're on the market? Yeah. And she's like, what's your phone number? I'm calling you. And so she had been sitting on the idea for co-fertility for quite some time and never felt the timing was right. And I loved it and told her my experience with my sister and everything that we had been through. And she was like, you're it. Let's go do this. And so that's how it all came to be. That's amazing. Okay. So tell us about early days of co-fertility and then we can dive into some more. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Totally. So that happened... That conversation was October of 2021. I am someone who needs 
I'm all about having gut instincts, right? Mm -hmm. But I wanted to like test our hypotheses. I did believe that women would sign up for this and would want to go through our split program where they donate half of the eggs retrieved. But I wanted to be sure of it because at the end of the day, I realized I'm in my well in, you know, to my mid thirties, like I'm not the target audience here, right? And so I wanted to ask women that were more squarely in the age range of egg donation, like if this is something that they would do. And so I created a type form and Hallie and I were like, <laughs> let's get this out to as many people as possible. And so we pinged a bunch of influencers in the demo, asked them to share it in their Instagram stories. And we had like over a thousand replies in 24 hours. It was oh so incredible. And over 66% of women said they were interested in our split model. Wow. That to me was like a, like I was shocked. I remember refreshing the type form, refreshing, being like, this can't be real. It's enough to give you chills. Like it's the moment when, and like, I mean, it's fairly common knowledge. It took me scripted a minute to get to product market fit where Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure we are now. But like that moment when you're like, oh, is this it? Yeah. This feels like this is it. (laughs) You know? And I'm sure that that, it was a yeah. very similar moment. You it was had chills. Your heart was probably racing. Yeah. Like you probably it was in your body. Am I going to do this or am I not? And to keep refreshing was like, I have to do this. I'm a yes for this. And we wanted to bring on a third co-founder. And Hallie had worked with Ariel Spiegel in the past. And she got us together. And it was just like, yeah, we hit it off. We had a really shared vision for what we wanted this to be. We also had loved what she built originally with the co-fertility brand as a sort of content site for all of your fertility questions asked and answered. And I also just loved the name co-fertility. It felt appropriate for what we were doing. And so we decided to like bring her into it with the co-fertility name. And we raised several million dollars a month later to go do this thing for real. And so we spent almost a year working on it, learning, figuring it out and soft launching the business, which Mm -hmm. is a very uber thing to do to like test and iterate and make sure that you're going to market with the right thing. So we did that and we launched in October of 2022. And it's just been like off to the races ever since. Amazing. I want to key in a little bit more on that. So being an Uber alarm. Tell us about the importance of product. Tell us about yeah. the importance of user design, of research, of understanding yeah. the consumer. We've like done a, a like a bit of a shallow dive. Yeah. Dive deeper for us. Tell us more. Yeah. I mean, I think it is in a lot of ways somewhat similar to Uber in that, and I actually had a, an REI or, um, ask me the other day, like, who's your customer? The intended parent or the donor? And it's like, well, first of all, for us, they're members. They're part of what we do. We don't think about it as like customer driven, but we really see ourselves as having, you know, two sides of our business, which is really important to think about, right? Like at Uber, a lot of people might guess that riders are the customer, but in reality, riders and drivers Mm -hmm. are the customer. And so here, donors, split members, keep members are equally as important to us as the intended parent, the one who ends up sort of like footing the bill of this experience, right? And we have to think about it that way. We have to see both sides coming together in a pretty consistent way. It has to have the rhythm of growing on both sides. And then we also really think about the donor conceived child a lot too. So like, that's like the third party that we really think about constantly. And so for us, we built user personas within each of those categories. 
so that we could think through, right? Like the experience of two gay men who are looking for an egg donor is very different than someone who's been struggling with their fertility for years and has had multiple failed cycles and is told by their doctor, like, hey, it's time to pursue donor eggs, right? Mm -hmm. It is super different. And so we had to like build our funnel to understand and sort of react to all of those experiences. And so we were actually laughing the other day about what our soft launch funnel looked like compared to what it looks like now. And I think, you know, my biggest thing is don't be afraid to like try things. We literally had, this is for our split and keep member funnel. We had funnel A, funnel B, funnel C, funnel D, funnel E, because we just kept being like, oh, that way didn't work. Let's try it again. Yeah, yeah. That one's not working. Like, let's make this one small tweak and see if that changes it. And we would see from like people getting like stuck at one place to whatever changes we implemented, like suddenly like floodgates would open, right? And so it's never going to be right the first time and no funnel is ever perfect. So like there's always changes and things that you can be doing to get better at it. We literally like just yet like yesterday made changes to our intended parent yeah. sign up form because there was like changes right. that were worth making. Totally. And it's always so confusing when when you're like, is this not working because of the words or the code that's behind the scenes? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. is it the product or how we're marketing it? You know yeah. what I mean? I think like, it's usually the words. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. A thousand percent. You sound like a yeah. CPO. <laughs> Yeah. Like the product. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, no, I don't necessarily see it that way. I just think that sometimes when you're in this position, you can't even imagine what it's like to be the user or to be looking at it for the first time. And so it's important to keep doing that and not be ashamed of where it started. (laughs) Absolutely. Being ashamed of where it started, quote unquote, like that totally misses the point. It's like we should recognize our growth. (laughs) Like, let's talk about where we are now. And like, yeah, yeah. how beautiful that change was and you know, totally. what an interesting and exciting thing it's been. So, yeah. Also, thanks for telling us about just yeah, and Of course. Product. Yeah, yeah. So want to dig into consistently in co-fertility marketing material and within your voice as Lauren, the CEO, I, you guys are always using the word human, which I love. And what helps me track back to this Harvard study mm-hmm. that you have mentioned me in the past. And so I guess, you know, that you're nodding, you know, the study I'm talking about where this kind of dives into donor conceived people and how they feel and like what this is like and digs into catch compensation. So tell us yeah. more about the Harvard study and how it inspires you. Yeah. So I think it's really important to know that the idea of donor conception started it was like an imagined scenario of people who are doing it were doing their best. So like, I don't fault from where this space came, right? They were doing something new, something led like something game-changing to help more people have babies. And I love that that's where it started. But it did start in a place that was very focused on, let's just pay people to get them to give eggs or sperm to help these people have babies and we'll tell them it'll be anonymous. They'll never reach out. They'll never get heard from ever again. And like, that's how we'll do it. And in doing so, it often meant that like those donors were asked to do it several times. And we can even just focus on egg donation, right? Like a donor would do at least six egg retrievals. Those eggs would get divided into lots of six 
And so they could be helping five or six families with one egg retrieval and then would do it six times. So their eggs would be going to like 25, 30 families. And that's a lot of biological half-siblings out there, right? And so this is happening. These children are being born, they're growing up, but they didn't have the ability to like learn about the donor-conceived child or donor-conceived person experience until those people were old enough to share what that experience was and what it was like, right? And so now we have information. We can learn from the donor-conceived community and we can hear and see and learn about what that has felt like to have that be their origin story and be so much a part of their life in a way that 2015, even 10 years ago, wasn't possible. And so this study that you brought up, there's an organization called the U.S. Donor Conceived Council that is made up of all donor conceived people and they advocate for the rights of future donor conceived people. And I really love what they do. And I think it's just really important work. And I think that organizations like ours have a lot to learn from them. And so we actually had them do an audit of everything we do, our website, our materials, everything, so that when we say we really strive to honor the donor conceived person that comes through the other side of what we do, that we can like be truthful in saying that and really mean it. And so that's been a really great experience for us. Like they told us what we're doing well, what we could improve on. And then we implemented those things. Like it feels good to know that like we aren't doing that blindly. But this Harvard study was a question around does the exchange of cash to, you know, the donor, how does that make you feel as a donor conceived person? And over 60% of people responded saying that they found it troubling for them. And so we feel that, again, no fault from where we came from. But now that we know that, how can we do better and how can we do differently? And so this is just one way where we take cash compensation out of the equation and That's not to fault anyone who is choosing to go the cash compensation route, but for intended parents who are really mindful of that, this is a really great alternative for them. Yeah. And so that along with this idea that many donor conceived people really advocate that future donor conceived people should really have access to their donor if they have questions about their genetics and things like that. I mean, 23andMe exists today and anonymity and donation is impossible. And that's something that is unfortunate, but is still being marketed today with egg donation. And so we're really upfront about it with our donors and with our intended parents. And for those who want to enter into a disclosed relationship with us, they have the ability to have a match meeting and to get to know the donor. That's awesome. That's like not widespread, is it? With our... With you, obviously, but like amongst other organizations. I think some offer it, not a lot do. And I just have to tell you, I've been in a lot of meetings in my career so far. And when I get to sit in on a match meeting between a donor and an intended parent, it is the absolute best, most incredible meeting ever. Yes, I just had a, a visual eyes welling up with tears emoji just then. Yeah, Yeah. you did. You looked just like, it's the best. It's truly the best because it's like a very big deal and really meaningful for both sides. Of course it is. Yeah. So when this organization, I forget what they're called, the The uh, USDCC. USDCC, when they audited co-fertility, like what was one valuable thing that you learned that you didn't know before that you guys implemented? They talk a lot about... Even the term donor-conceived people as something that we should adopt and use consistently and regularly. And 
introduce that term and concept to intended parents and to donors, right? To instead of just thinking about this as like the baby that's born, right? Let's be real that this is a donor conceived person and that we should be thinking about what their experience is like. And so that was eye-opening for me. And we absolutely hear where that's coming from and we use that. And I think there are intended parents that I think it's hard to have that conversation. When you've been through a really rough fertility journey and all you want to get to is baby, and this is the last resort, this is the last thing your doctor's like, hey, let's try donor eggs, right? To then have to open up this conversation about Do you want to meet your donor? Do you want to have access to their contact information? When are you going to tell your child their donor conceived? Are you going to tell your family? What does this journey look like? So it's a hard conversation. And it was hard before. Right. You know, like they're like, oh, you're, you tried to get pregnant. Oh, you can't get pregnant. Try IUI. Oh, that didn't work. Try IVF. Okay. That's not working. Yeah. Now let's have this brand new, super hard conversation. Yeah. And listen to me telling them about 23 and me and what that means, right? Like it is not an easy conversation to have, but through the donor, the USDCC, I learned the importance of having that conversation at yeah. the beginning of their journey with us and sort of supporting them in that conversation. Yeah. So. Amazing. Well, so obviously we're talking about women's health. <laughs> like said the words women's health super specifically. Yeah. The women's health podcast. Yay. But so let's transition to the freeze side. And the question is, how big is the problem? Tell us about the problem. Why do you believe in it? And why do you believe in like what you're doing um, on the freeze side? I know you're like, how how long do we have? I know. I could talk (laughs) about this all day. It's wild. I think that it is incredible that egg freezing exists. And what you'll always hear from us is that Egg freezing is not a guarantee. It is not an insurance policy and it should not be called that. I really hate when it is. But why? Because it doesn't always No, it it's, doesn't not, always no it's not perfect. Like yeah, no, yeah. no biology is perfect, right? And this is sort of in that realm. So it isn't perfect. However, we know that people who freeze their eggs, especially the younger they are, the more likely they are to have a child later in life. And so I feel strongly that And this is actually, I think this was an opinion that came out of ASRM that egg freezing can contribute to gender equality. When I read that, I was like, whoa, I could not agree more. When you think about, you know, I'm thinking about my time at Uber and figuring out what job I wanted to go for next and thinking about, oh, I better make sure, like I was working hundred hours a week, right? Mm -hmm. But thinking like, I have to make time for dating. I have to sign up for the apps because I'm getting older, right? And I have to make sure I have time to do that. No male peer of mine was thinking that way. Let's put it that way. Right. You know what I mean? And yep. so I fundamentally believe that egg freezing can contribute to gender equality. And I think it is amazing that this science exists. However, I am angry that it is so cost prohibitive. Not to mention the fact that it's harder to process than I wish it was, but the cost is the number one thing that makes me angry. And so... What I love about what we're doing with Split and Keep is that we're able to make it more accessible. Like you shouldn't have to work at a big tech company to have access to egg freezing. And so I feel really passionate, especially when I think about healthcare professionals. We know that doctors are twice as likely to experience infertility as the general public. And they are well aware in their mid-20s what the next 10 years of their life is going to look like. 
Totally. And so if they want to proactively freeze their eggs because they know that they're going to put off childbearing for 10 years, they should absolutely have access to doing so. So I get really excited about being able to offer this to women who find themselves in that position, right? Who are like, hey, I know I'm not ready to have kids or I know I have to complete this education or this training that I have ahead of me before I get to that stage of my life or I have different goals that I want to achieve before I do that. They absolutely should have the option and access to do this. Hallie often says, she's like, I did a lot of cool things in my 20s and unfortunately egg freezing wasn't one of them. And it's like her biggest regret. And at the time, one, she didn't know that she should freeze her eggs at that time. And two, couldn't have afforded it, even if she did. And so I see our role here as twofold. One is awareness and two is access. Yep. (laughs) Um, Yeah, literally all of the above. It's so incredibly frustrating and it's so all about awareness, so all about access. And I'm grateful that you guys exist to help with both. I feel also, the tell, same way about you guys. Yeah. Also, tell us about the, I'm going to talk about some of the product challenges. Tell us about some of the marketing challenges. So you're speaking to all of these different people. And I guess I'm curious on the awareness piece for the phrase folk. How are you thinking about that? What is resonating? What maybe hasn't resonated? And just, I think we're all Yeah. And we're constantly testing and learning. So sometimes we're surprised by what resonates the most, right? It Mm -hmm. could be a funny, quippy Instagram ad that just Mm -hmm. draws them in. And once they're there, they're like, wow, this is awesome. I think what I get even more excited, like top of funnel acquisition is important. So I'm not saying I'm not excited by that. But what I get really excited about is the levers and the opportunities we have to take someone who's already showing interest by coming through that initial part of our funnel to then nurturing and educating them enough to the point where they're like, oh, hell yeah, I want to do this. Right. And so we were testing things like webinars where they get to meet with our clinical operations team and ask questions about what the experience is like. And hearing the questions that they asked in that webinar and what do we now do with those questions? Like how do we turn those into videos that are then something that can be accessed in a more self-service kind of way by people? And how do we like deliver those messages and like different nuggets and as part of an experience? But I think it's awesome that more women than we expected are like very aware of egg freezing. And so some of the education comes in terms of like, okay, I know I want to do it, but what is it like? Yeah. I expect. Yeah, for sure. So there's a lot of that. And then there's education around donation, right? I think a lot of times, one of the things that I keep hearing is like off-putting about donation is how will I know if I'm like walking down the street and I see someone who looks like me? Well, I wonder if that's my kid. And it's like, actually, you know, if you enter into disclosed donation where you know the family your eggs are going to and you don't have to have like this ongoing relationship with them, but perhaps you're in a scenario where you exchange emails once a year, or maybe send a holiday card. And so it doesn't have to be this black box of where did my eggs go? Yeah. You know? It and creates so, fear and anxiety yeah. for sure. Yeah. And so I see a lot of what we're doing on the marketing side as a way to get rid of that fear and anxiety and to be honest and truthful about, you know, I can't hide the fact that egg freezing is not a walk in the park. It is a 10 to 14 day period of time where you have to give yourself injections and you have to go to the doctor every other day. Like that's very real. I can't change that. 
But I can be really open and honest about how we describe it and help take some of the fear out of it. Totally. Amazing. So I have a bit of a wild card question for you. <laughs> so I'm curious to learn more about career pooling and uh, how you implemented this in your yeah. home and in your organization yeah. as CEO. Okay. So <laughs> I'm like, gonna, okay, I don't know where yeah. we're going to go here, but yeah, yeah. I don't know. So, you tempted me. Yeah. And actually it was wild. I wasn't expecting it, but I did a interview with Bustle and it came up in that conversation. And I, it was like a little tidbit that I just mentioned and then I ended up in the article. And I was like, okay, here we go. So it's like <laughs> this concept I feel like that... like might need to train market. Just yeah. Me. Yeah. So my husband, Jake, he and I are partners in all of the ways. And I feel very lucky that that's the case. But he is something actually we realized while I was still working at Uber, that if we leverage one another's skill sets in our work, that we would both be better at our jobs, more efficient, and that it would actually strengthen our relationship for a number of reasons. It would give us more to talk about. It would give us more respect for one another and where they're coming from. And it works. And so what that means is that like there are times where I know that based on his skill sets, if I were to do something, it might take me 10 hours. But if I asked him to do it, it could take him one hour. I'm going to need specific examples. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I'm like, any what's going to take you 10 yeah, hours? Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, and vice versa, right? Like there are things yeah. that he needs to do for work that like when he brings them to me, I'm like, no, 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 we're going to do it this way. And here's yeah. how it's going to work and vice versa. So he is great at go-to-market strategy. He's also great at deck creation. So like a slide that maybe 10 hours is a lot, but like if it took me an hour to come up with a really mediocre slide, he in like 10 minutes could have an A plus slide. It's just something he's great at. Yeah. Whereas like last night he was drafting this email and I was like, why are you sending this? He's like, what do you mean? I was like, this should one, not be an email. And two, send a one-line text to this person saying like, you're going to call them on your way home from whatever tomorrow and casually bring it up in the conversation, right? He's like, oh my God, you're right. It just yeah. totally reframed what he was trying to do. And so right. we leverage each other in our work quite a bit. And it became this thing that, so we named it because it was like, hey, I need a career bull right now, as opposed to like, when you just want your partner for emotional support, it's different, right? Like sometimes you actually want their help and sometimes you just need to vent. And so we named it. We're clear I about love it. naming it. I love yes. naming things. And yeah. so I've been very open with my team about it. Hey, like hey, Jake, Jake did put together X, y, this slide. <laughs> yeah, totally. Because I don't like taking credit for somebody else's work. And also like, I think there's a time and a place when you don't need to give that credit and when you do. But the reason I was open with my team about it is because I realized we can all get so much out of this concept of career pooling. And so now my team literally like there was a screen, like a photo the other day dropped in our water cooler Slack channel. That was one of our marketing managers, a photo of her husband on her laptop fixing something in one of the spreadsheets for us. And she's like, real-time career pooling. Welcome. Now it has become a thing where like we really do leverage our partner's skill sets. And I think co-fertility is better for it. I think each of our relationship, like of course has its pros and cons, but I really think it's an awesome concept. 
Well, thanks for letting so, me go yeah. there. <laughs> of no, course. It's a wild card. Jake will love it. He'll love Amazing. it. Hi, Jake. Well, Lauren, as we're coming to a close, you know, we've talked a lot about things that you might respect in women's health, in, you know, the family building industry and the fertility industry. What's our biggest problem in this industry and how do we rise above it? There are so many things <laughs> that need to change, but I feel like something I learned it with Uber Health, honestly, was that you can't boil the ocean. And so to start and be specific with something that really lights you up. And for me, I am really lit up by what we're trying to solve right now, right? I feel like egg donation is really overdue for something new here. And I also feel the same about egg freezing. I don't think this way of going about it that we've seen over the last handful of years is working and it's time for change. And so that's what I want to rescript. It's what I'm working on all day, every day. It's all I can think about in the shower, you know? It's like, yeah, yeah. how are we going to do this? And so that's where I'm at. Amazing. Well, thank you for that. And I think that's a yeah. great thing to rescript and I'm right there with you. And yeah. So where can people find you? Where can people learn more about co-fertility? Cofertility.com will lead you to any number of experiences with, with us, whether that's looking for an egg donor or participating in our keep or split program as someone who wants to freeze their eggs. On Instagram, we have at freeze by co for those who want to freeze their eggs through either program. And then we have at family by co for intended parents who are looking for a donor. Personally, I'm at Lauren Mackler and I love to engage directly with our members on either side. So please feel free to reach out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again, Lauren. This has been absolutely fantastic. And I'm sure we will talk soon. Definitely. This was really fun. Thank you for having me. If this podcast means something to you, be sure to hit follow or subscribe. This helps you because you'll never miss an episode. And it helps us because you'll never miss an episode. It's wild enough to be a woman without taking on the wild west of women's health information. The good news is that Rescripted did the legwork on your body so you don't have to. And we're here when you're ready to be an expert in you. Head to Rescripted.com and follow us at Hello Rescripted on Instagram and TikTok. TikTok.